fashion, join a procession, the truth and the In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Pray for the cause of sainthood for Bishop Oh God, thank you for the life and holiness of your servant. I pray you will honor him by the title of saint. He to himself completely to missionary activity, to make you known, loved, and served by the people who you love. Lord, I pray today through Venerable Frederick Barrios in succession for the Catholic Christian. May they have the missionary seal of the apostles, the resources necessary to reach every intended soul, to build up the body of Christ. Amen. Okay. So. Last week, we started going through the twelve apostles. That's the three of them we covered, Simon Peter, Andrew, and James the Creator. Um, but there's something I touched upon as we were passing, only I only touched upon it and actually meant to do it uh, a bit more deeper, so we're going to do it now. Um, I'm hoping that you are willing to get involved in this, because um, we're talking about the apostles. Some people say, some people said then, some people say now, still, that the apostles made up Christianity. If someone would say that to you, look for a volunteer, actually I'm looking for a couple of volunteers, if someone was to say to you that the apostles made it all up, how would you defend that? Now you've all heard me preaching for over a year on the connection, because it's very strong in my preaching, as you all know, between the Old Testament and the New Testament. So how would you defend that if someone says to you, your religion was made up so some people say it was made up in three, in 315, which we'll get to when we get to 315. Some people say the apostles made it up. Some people say Paul made it up. Some people say it was made up in medieval times. How would you defend your faith against somebody who said that? Why would they die for what they believe? In? Okay, that's, that's fair enough. Right? I think, I'd agree with you on that, but I think some people might say, um, well, they, they died because they, got caught, they caught themselves in a lie, uh, and the Romans weren't willing to discuss it, which is not true, but they might say that. Okay, so. Uh, how do you explain all the miracles that occurred? I don't accept miracles. Oh. Somebody who's going to say to you that it was made up is going to say, I don't believe the miraculous things happen. You've got to remember, I mean, you're right again, but their worldview will be a bit, it will be dark compared to ours. They won't see the wonder and the glory of, of like your t-shirt. It's a good example of Catholicism, nice and bright. Um, <clears throat> Prove it to me though. In the uh, Old Testament and then into the New Testament. Okay, so give me an example. Where is baptism in the Old Testament? Who said it's not in there? What about historic facts? Baptism is in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. Yes. 
I thought that was in the New Testament. No, you talked about it. Okay. No, 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 no. So, baptism is, who, who would give somebody an example of, because this has all got to do with typology, who would give someone an example of where baptism is at least pointed to in the Old Testament? Now you're all looking at me like, I don't know, Father. And you all do know, because you all, you've all heard, you've all been to Mass for, for years and years and years and years. So, well, if you're thinking about baptism, you're going to think about water, right? So where are the episodes in the Old Testament that talk about water and, and the results of, of water? Part of the Red Sea, absolutely. That's the one in the Catechism. Actually that's mentioned. One in, I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, yes, it's actually mentioned in the Catechism, right? Who was Naaman? Who was the general Naaman? Naaman was a general who had leprosy, who his servant girl, who was a slave, told him who she was Jewish that if he goes to Israel, there's a holy man there called Elijah. And he can cure leprosy. And what did Elijah tell him to do? And what did Naaman say? Elijah told him to go to the Jordan. Right? And what did Naaman say? Where I'm from, the rivers are nicer. Yeah, better. And the Jordan wasn't nice. Right? So there's two examples of baptism. But there's also something, you may remember it was in the back of one of the handouts I gave. Um, a thing called a mikvah. <coughs> I don't know if you... The, the particular handout was about what the Talmud is and things like that. But on the other side, there's a thing called a mikvah. The mikvah is... ritual washing. And in the book of Leviticus, you will find... Uh, I'll give you... Two citations. In chapter Leviticus chapter 14 and Leviticus chapter 15, you will find there talking about that if you have a skin disease or something unwholesome, you have to go and wash yourself, immerse yourself, and go and show that you're clean to the high priest. What does baptism do? Cleanses yourself. Right. And chapter 15 of Leviticus, it says that after a woman's had her menstrual cycle, she has to wash herself in the bath of mikvah to go and show the high priest that she's clean. Okay? So, in the, one of the handouts I gave, it talks about, for some groups of Orthodox Jews, if you want to become a Jew, you have to go into a mikvah and you go down three times under, completely under the water. And they don't all do it, but that's one of the ways to become. So you come out a new person. But they are taking that from the book of Leviticus. Now, does that sound like baptism? Yes? Does it not? Okay, so that's baptism. Where is First Holy Communion, or rather, where is communion in the Old Testament? Manna in the desert. Manna, yes. Yes. Where else? Melchizedek offers. Who's that? Melchizedek. Yes. 
What is what happens with Melchizedek when Abraham goes to meet Melchizedek? He offers him, makes an offering to him of. Well, with him he makes an offering of bread and and wine. Yes. In the Garden of Eden, when they they are disobedient. And they're kicked out. And we'll get back to this in a minute. But when they're kicked out, what is the consequences of them not being able to to eat the fruit in the, the garden? I don't mean the fruit that was forbidden. The other fruit that they get separated from. Do you remember? Okay. Well, so what does it actually say? It's the food of eternal life. Yeah. What is communion? It's the food of eternal life. So that's, that's touched upon there as well. Um, and the Passover in Exodus 12. In, pass, in the Passover, that's the sacrifice of the lamb. And there's unleavened bread used there as well. And it's a meal that protects them from, um, from, from death. In, in the Old Testament again, in, in, um, Leviticus in particular, there's a thing called a Todah. <coughs> now if I tell you that that's the Hebrew word for thanksgiving, what is the Greek word for thanksgiving? You all know it. Greek word for thanksgiving. Yes. That's the Greek word for thanksgiving. The, the Jews in Leviticus chapter 7. So here's what a todah is. Um, a todah sacrifice is offered by someone in thanksgiving for something that that God has granted them. Um, examples of that, you can see it in um, Jonah. When he's in, actually, when Jonah's in the whale, he, he seems to be praying an apology and thanksgiving to God. And then King Hezekiah in Isaiah 38 he recovers from a life-threatening death, and he does a todah as well. King David offers one in First Chronicles 16.3, where he offers bread and wine, because part of the todah is offering not just a, a sacrifice of meat, but it also involves offering bread and wine. Um, so David does that there, and then um, David... Uh, leads the Levites in Torah hymns and singing praises of thanksgiving later on in First Chronicles. Now, I don't expect you, some of you might know what this is, but do you know where Jesus quotes Psalms 22, 29 and 62? Does them one after another. Do you know where that happens? Can you think of where that happens? Is there somewhere where Jesus 
quotes three psalms very quickly. Now, Psalm 22 is my favourite psalm. I've spoken to you about it at Masses extensively, particularly at one time of the year. Psalm 22 starts with the, the, the sentence, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why do I go a mourning, oppressed by my foes? So, where is Jesus when he quotes these three psalms? It's on the cross. He's hanging on the cross when he says it. Those three psalms are the three psalms that you pray when you're offering a todah. Jesus on the cross is offering thanksgiving to God the Father for the sacrifice that he's making for our sake. Just turning that as an aside. That's what's going on there. Don't fall into the mistake, as many people do, of thinking that Jesus is... It's a prayer of despair. He is not despairing. It's a prayer of fulfillment. He's fulfill, fulfilling and thanking God that he's had the strength to be able to f- fulfill. So it's a, it's a, that's a, a todah. Um, so that's baptism that we've looked at. It's in the Old Testament. Um, even immersion with baptism is in the Old Testament. Um, where is Confession in the Old Testament. I have mentioned this in homilies as well, um, but I know you didn't know you were going to be quizzed about it. Uh, where is confession in the Old Testament? Or rather, let's start with something a bit simpler. Can you give me two examples where the consequences of not confessing your sins are spelled out clear as a bell in the Old Testament? Consequences of not. There's many of them, but there's two particularly very well known Instances I would suggest to you way back in the start of of, of, Genesis where people are caught by God doing things and they don't say sorry, they don't fess up and there's a a consequence for what they do. Sorry? Yeah. They don't fess up, what happens to them? They're separated from the love of God. Not long after that, the next generation, he doesn't fess up, what happens to him? He's told to go and wander. And that there's a mark on him, and that's a whole different debate of that. Um, but, specifically, confession is mentioned in Leviticus chapter 5. If you look in Leviticus chapter 5 and chapter 7, so um, you will find... So in chapter, and also the book of Numbers, um, in Leviticus chapter 5, early in the chapter, um, there's a litany of things that, that are sinful. And it says, and God says to Moses, whoever is guilty in any of these cases shall confess the sin he has incurred, and his sin offering, and his sin offering for the sin he has committed, he shall bring to the Lord, and it says what he should bring, and the priest will make atonement for his sins. Every time in the Old Testament, the people are told to make confession, it is always involving a priest. They have to go and tell a priest. And then they have to make their offering. So they have to go confess to a priest, then they have to make, they do with their penance. And in the book of Leviticus, the manner and the magnitude of your sin depended on, unless you were, unless you weren't, had no money, depended, depended on the size of your, your, um, your sacrifice. So imagine John, people see John going towards the temple 
and he's leading a bull, what do you think he would be up to? Right? And then they see Don, and Don's got some turtle doves, and they'd be thinking, what's he been up to? But it's always involved. Confessing to a sin, to a priest, and then an act of penance, a reparation, and the reason for the animal sacrifice, of course, is because life is in the blood, as it tells us in the early chapters of Leviticus, and that has been superseded by the fact that the blood of God himself was shed for that. Confession is not a new thing for, for, um, for us. And then the last one before I move back on to the, the apostles, um, Trinity. Can anybody think of any times in the Old Testament where there's either implied or there seems to be more than one personality to God? You had one at the weekend. Oh, you had you actually heard one of the most explicit ones at the weekend. No, no, that's the New Testament. What was the first reading? Daniel, and what happens in that first reading? What is described to us in that first reading in Daniel? I commented on it. I'm glad you're all listening to me. Let me just read a quote to you. Let me just read this out to you. I saw in the night visions, and behold, the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days. So we already had the description of the Ancient One with the white hair and things like that, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and kingdom, as all nations, people, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, one that will not be destroyed. To be fair, it was in the, I think it was in the, the Saturday anticipatory mass, I mentioned that rabbis have always found that an uncomfortable thing, and they have talked about the fact that there seems to be more one, more than one person in God. This is going way before Christianity came to the scene. But the other times that it, it's it's there, if you've got a good translation, and I have pointed this out in uh, in homilies, um, Genesis one one, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and was without form and void. Darkness was upon the face of the earth, and the Spirit of God was moving over the waters. The implication of the Trinity is there. It's God the Father, there's the Spirit that got mentioned, and then there's the breath over. The, the, the Word is spoken and the breath. When God speaks the Word, the Word is Jesus. And when he speaks, that's the breath, that's the Holy Spirit. There's an implicit thing there. That's the Trinity. We go further on in Genesis. This is what is in the translation. Are you all familiar with the concept of the royal we? You ever heard that? The royal we? And I don't mean going to the toilet. The royal we. The royal we is when a monarch, a king or a queen, is speaking on behalf of their nation. So they're not speaking, you know, I would like to do something. They say, we, there's a famous quote from Queen Victoria about something. She said, we are not amused. It's called the royal we, that's the technical term for it. Um, in 
Genesis 1.26 Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let him them have dominion over the fish and the sea and over the birds in the air and over the other kind of things. Our. Then in Genesis 11.6 To do with the, the Tower of Babel. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people and they have all one language and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language, that they may not understand what each one's speech. In First Samuel, Samuel, excuse me, is anointing David, and it says, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward, and rose up and went to Lodamida. So there's a, an implication already in the, the Old Testament, I'd recognised by, by rabbis, that there was more going on with God than they might have thought, that God might be more than one person. It's called, not to be confused with how we use that term, but the Jews call it the, the powers of God, like God seems to have more than one way. There are many of them in the Old Testament. You're familiar, I'm sure, with with Jacob wrestling with someone, right? And who is Jacob wrestling with? It seems to be um, God. And yet we're told repeatedly that you can't see God. If you see God, you'll die. That's God the Father. But we're also told that Abraham has three individuals come to pass by and he gives them um, he entertains them and about the whole Sodom and Gomorrah. So, they are the places where, where, um, you could point out that the apostles weren't making this up and, and were the apostles faithful Jews? Yes, they absolutely were. All of them. As we touched upon last week, definitely um, these guys, these three, were extremely devout Jews. Um, so if someone asks you whether or not our faith was made up, you may not remember anything I've just said. But like I've said to you before, the point of the classes is not so that you can go off and um, debate with the local Methodist minister. If we have one, do we have one? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Um, the point is that if someone confronts you about things to do with your faith, that you are able to say, I may not know, I might not have the answer, but I know there's, I know there's an answer because of what we believe is well-founded and well-grounded. And we didn't just make it up, because some people would claim that we do just make it up, as opposed to, as I've mentioned before, people adding words to Scripture, which we don't do. Okay, so, back to the Apostles then. So as we saw last week, the main one, Simon Peter, mentioned more than anybody else in the, the Gospels apart from Jesus, then his little brother, um, Andrew, and then James the, the Greater. There are, I think it's three or four Jameses that are mentioned in the New Testament. Um, greater only because he was probably bigger than the other James that's an apostle. So let's look at Matthew. Um, Matthew's name 
was probably Levi. And his, remember last week I explained what patronomics were? Patronomic is when someone has, we had a couple on the class, actually. Sorry? Yeah, named after a parent. So, most obviously in English, it's when you've got son in the end of your name. If you're of Celtic origin, if you're from southern part of Ireland, it's O. If you're from the north of Ireland, it's MC. If you're from the Scottish Islands, it's MAC. If you're from um, Poland, it's it's um, it at the end. I see. If you're from Bulgaria and that surrounding area, it's of. Um, and most countries have them, of course. And in Judaism, it's Bar. So the apostles, some of the apostles are known better by, or named sometimes by their patronomics, sometimes it's by their given names, and sometimes they have second names as well. So Matthew is his secondary name. His own name is Levi. And that's, if you look up the lists here, you'll see him. I think he's twice called Levi. Um, he was a tax collector, as we all know. He was wealthy, crooked. Um, he was a son of uh, Alphaeus. Alphaeus is Joseph's brother. So um, he was also, Matthew was the brother of James the Less. Um, which means that Matthew and James the Less, the next apostle I'm going to come to, were both first cousins of Jesus. Um, I think, isn't um, John the Greater, wasn't he? Isn't he a, did I say that? He's he a first cousin of. Where is it? Where's my list? Isn't he a first cousin of Jesus as well? Didn't I say that? Yes, isn't he? Yeah. Right, yes, yes. So, these guys. So, he's Jesus' first cousin on one side. The, the, his mother on, the, on Mary's side and Matthew and James Alest are Jesus' cousins on his other side. Um, it's recorded, and uh, you might ask why, because why, is that he was a vegetarian. Who knows? But that's, that's recorded in the things. He was probably in charge of the branch office in Capernaum, which we've all heard of, and there he would have been... Um, Dealing with export and import taxes, people paying in advance for toll roads, bridge tolls, and all those things. A lot of money in his hands. Strangely enough, I read somewhere a while back that tax collectors at this time, they possibly couldn't read because all they had to do was count. Which I know sounds a bit somewhat peculiar, but um, I'd like my banker to be able to read and to count, but... Um, in 47 AD, he went to mainly, as far as we know, he went mainly to what we call the diaspora. Do you remember what that is? That's all the Jewish communities, different places, the biggest one being in Alexandria, then a big one in Rome, Antioch, there was one in Spain, um, there was one further along the, the coast of uh, North Africa. Um, okay. So, the main diaspora communities were Alexandria, Antioch, uh, Rome, there's one here, 
uh, near for modern day Barcelona. And there was one along here, which is where Carthage was. So it would seem that, that Matthew went to the diaspora communities. As you all know, Matthew's gospel is all about speaking to the Jews and explaining to the Jews the different, that how, well, we've just kind of discussed that really, how the Old Testament foreshadows the New and everything is fulfilled in the New. After that, we know very, very little about him at all. He was stabbed in the back, or burned, or crucified. And he probably died at the age of 90, in about AD 90. And we don't know much more about him than that. And as I mentioned last week, um, it's one of the good things about not knowing a whole lot about the, about the uh, apostles, because they are not important. And they were clearly aware of that, that they, they weren't um, important. That the important thing was um, Jesus and the message. So next, James the Lesser, probably because he was the smaller um, brother to St. Matthew, again, son of Alphaeus, and his mother was one of the Marys that was at the foot of the cross. He, uh, his brother, St. Matthew, had an elder brother called uh, Joseph, and he had a much more famous brother who's a saint called St. Simeon. And we know a lot more about St. Simeon than we do about Matthew and James the Less and the other brother, Joseph. So, St. Simeon was the Bishop of um, Jerusalem, he was elected or appointed by the Apostles in around about AD 62. He took them from Jerusalem to Pella and we will touch upon that probably in September because that's it's a very important thing that happens at this time. He was the one that took them there. He was the Bishop of Jerusalem for 45 years. He was martyred by the Emperor Trajan, and if you might think, why does Trajan sound familiar? It's because this map that I gave you is the Empire in the time of Trajan. And if you've ever been to to Rome, anybody here been to Rome? Okay, so if you've been to Rome, if you're standing looking at the Forum Imperiale, you know it's way down low, right? Behind you, right behind you on wherever you're standing, over your right shoulder, before you go up that higher road, there's a tall tower um, that was, uh, it's a kind of circular thing, and it's got all, it's, it basically tells you about all the conquests of Trajan. It's called Trajan's Column, and um, that's, that's that Trajan. Um, he was tortured. So when he was arrested under Trajan, he was 120 years old, we're told, and he was tortured. And it's recorded by the Romans. So not by Christians. It's recorded by the Romans. They could not believe how, how robust and sturdy and how willing this old man was to, to withstand torture and not give up his belief in Jesus as the Christ. Um, he then was martyred um, 
by, by stoning. Um, although there is another tradition that says that he was crucified first and then because he wasn't dying so quick, the Jews started throwing stones up to kill him while he was hanging there. Um, the other brother, uh, Joseph, we know nothing about apart from his name. Okay, John, the brother of James the Greater, the two brothers who have the name Bonargos, which means Sons of Thunder. We don't know why they're called the Sons of Thunder, we just know Jesus called them that. Well, it's an interesting thing because sometimes, you see, if you see pictures um, of St. John, they often try and um, show St. John as this kind of womanly, no offence everyone, um, but womanly, weak little guy who is shy and timorous. There's nothing about his life that would imply that. And why would Jesus have called him the son of thunder? You know, unless he had a problem with his digestive system, why would he call him the, the son of thunder if, if he was a, a, a small, timid character? Um, you know, because it was the whole thing. Was it that? Really useless book written by that guy, Dan Brown, that tried to make out that that's not John that's there at the Last Supper, it's actually Mary Magdalene. And it's very feminine looking and things like that. I mean, it's complete total garbage, that book. I mean, there's no historical veracity to it at all. But John is clearly not uh, a little weakling. Um, so his parents were Zebedee and Salome. Salome is the mother, uh, the sister of Mary. So um, he's a cousin, first cousin to Jesus as well. Is anybody keeping track? Is that four, four first, four, four first cousins of Jesus so far in the in the twelve? Um, came from Bethsaida, the same as, of course, obviously his brother, but these these guys, uh, fishermen. By trade. Education, very similar to Peter, James and Andrew, which means he was probably started educating them, being taught the Torah, the first five books of the New Testament, to learn it off by heart from about the age of eight, and then up in the, they stopped about 14. There is some suggestion, you might have heard this, some suggestion that, that John might have been better educated because of the whole incident where John is able to get Peter into the inner circle at the crucifixion of the by priest's courtyard, that it might be that John actually is better known, um, even though he's young. But that could be he's got another cousin there or something, who knows. He's part of the inner circle. So, uh, as you know, Peter, James and John are the three that John, uh, Jesus takes with him for the raising of Jairus' daughter, the transfiguration, and also into the other part of the Garden of Gethsemane. I mentioned last week, but I'll repeat this, that there are many theories as to why those three, the one I happen to like the best, um, is the fact that Peter is, of course, the high priest, the Pope, the Chancellor, and we talked about where that is in the Old Testament, and that James, the, the greater, was the first of the apostles to be martyred, and that John was the last to die. So they're like brackets round the missionary work of the message that Jesus was giving. It would seem also like them, he would be, be a, a trusting and faithful 
and devout Jew. They were all disciples of John the Baptist. It's pretty sure we can say that. So the story of John writing his gospel is this, apparently. That people gave him copies of Matthew, Mark and Luke. And he read them. And he liked them. But he thought there was other work and other things that could be said. So he got a a secretary. And for two days, without rest, he stood and recited his gospel to this man while this man was writing. And then after it, the man who was writing collapsed. (laughs) That's what the story is. He also wrote Revelation and the three three epistles. There is, in case you ever hear this, there are stylistic differences between the gospel and... So the the gospel and the first letter of St. John stylistically are the same. Revelation and the two other epistles by John are the same but different stylistically. That could be as simple as the secretary who writes things down. And not some non-Catholic scholars have tried to say over the, the time that it's a different person that wrote it. But historically, we're told by the church fathers this is how it went. And that could be explained by being as simple as the fact that the secretary's writing it down and then turning it into something and putting in his own use of words. He lived in Ephesus. So, and who did he live with in Ephesus? Ephesus is about here. This is modern day Turkey. Ephesus is about here. Who did he, who did John live with in Ephesus? Because of modern. Blessed Mother. Right. So Ephesus, in their time, was a very busy seaport. It's now over six miles away from the sea. Which is a lot in 2,000 years. Um, like Britain's tilting, right? And much to the, the, the joy of the Scottish, um, <laughs> England is going into the sea and we're getting high. This is true, though. This is true. That, that um, every, every 10 years or something, there's like a foot of England disappearing. And it, is a foot of Scotland getting higher and higher. <laughs> so, um, just shows that God's got a sense of humour, right? Um, and, and we all know about silting up and how that can happen and things like that. But yeah, Ephesus is now over six miles from the sea and it was a very busy, uh, bu- very busy fishing port. Um, he was arrested multiple times. He was tortured in the persecution of Nero and that's when he was, I think, Many of you have heard me say this before. That's when he was putting that vat of boiling oil, and they put him in at six o'clock, and they put him in at dawn, and they boiled him until dusk. And at dusk, it's reported that John said to them, "Well, I don't know about all of you, but I'm bored with this." <laughs> and then they expelled him to the island of Patmos. And Patmos is one of these in here, not a big one, it's one of these, it's a tiny island, and it must have obviously been a bit of a toilet when they sent John there, uh, it has no water on it, so the water comes from the nearby islands or they have to collect rainwater, but now, I looked this up last week, if you wanted to go for a week's vacation from Britain to Patmos, it would cost you about $500 for a bed and breakfast. So it's obviously a much nicer place than it used to be. 
after he was expelled to Patmos, the, the, the emperor at the time died and there was another emperor who did not persecute. Because the persecutions, as we will find as we go through them, they happen, then they disappear, then they happen, or they're distorted, as I was saying this morning at Mass. Pope Sixtus II, um, he lived at a time where the emperor at that time, which I think was Valerian, all he was interested in doing was killing bishops and priests. He wasn't interested in killing the faithful, because, you know, if you cut off the head, the animal will die. But, of course, what he was forgetting, as I said this morning, is our head is Jesus. So it doesn't matter what people have done to us, we never die. There's been many occasions in the world they're trying to remove Catholicism, and nobody's been successful yet, because Jesus... Well, if only there was a clue. Jesus said, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not start, not um, prevail against you until the end of time. So, um, it, the, he got out after being tortured, he was exiled to, to Patmos, then allowed to go back to Ephesus. There's a story. So John didn't travel a huge, a huge amount, like some of them, and some of them I'm going to mention. John's scope of travelling tended to just be around here in his life. Um, there's a story that, that he, um, and my man would really mention, um, St. Polycarp, who was ordained bishop of Smyrna, which is in modern day Turkey. The bishop before that, the reason why he was removed is because John found an orphan boy and he gave the, this bishop the custody of this orphan boy and told him to bring him up properly in the faith. And John went away to do some more missions and he came back and this boy, by this time he was in his twenties and he was a leader of a bandit gang and the bishop who John had given him custody to lied to John. Imagine lying to an apostle. Do you know what happens to you lie to an apostle? We saw that in the Acts of the Apostles. They're dead. Yeah. Um, John said to him, why are you lying to me? And he said, okay, he's, he's a leader of the bandits up in the mountains. This part of Turkey, that part of Turkey is quite mountainous. Here. Well, it's actually, um, you can go skiing all year round in this part of Turkey. Anyway, so John gets on a horse. By this time, John's probably in his, his I think this, his late 70s, I think. And he rides up and these bandits come out and he gets off his horse and he says, and they all say, you're not going to defend yourself? And he said, no, I'm actually, I'm, I'm here to be caught by you guys. And then the leader sees him and starts running off like a hare. And John calls to him and says, I'm an old man. I don't have any weapons. Why are you running away from me? The guy stops and comes back. And John says to him, what have you done with your life? Look at the state, the state of your life. And, um, this is not what you was what was intended. This is not what God intended for you. And and John gets down on his knees and kisses the guy's right hand, and that's seen as an act of forgiveness for all the violence that he would have done with his right hand, and takes him back, and then puts Polycarp in charge of him. And then when John was an old man, I've mentioned this before in homilies as well, when he was an old man, um, probably ninety the eighty five to ninety. Um, he couldn't walk anymore because what they used to do was they used to cut the tendons when they were torturing the, the bishops they used to cut their tendons so they couldn't walk properly so you could identify them so the secret police could keep an eye on them um, they used to carry John in to preach the mass and he would always say the same homily and it's recorded that his homily was for the last two years of his life it was always the same homily my little children love one another 
And someone said to him, why is that all you're saying to us? And John replied and said, um, if you do that and you love each other with a full heart as Jesus loved us, everything else fits into place. So, then he was, uh, he died of natural causes as far as we know, um, about the age of 97, around about the, the year 100. Philip. Does anybody know what the word Philip, what the name Philip means? If Phil was here, he would know because I told him. Anybody know? What does hippopotamus mean? Who said water horse? Yes. So, you want to have a guess what Philip might mean? No, the hippo part means horse. So, a hippodrome is where horses run, right? Philo is Greek for I love. Philip, the name Philip means horse lover in Greek. Horse. Horse lover. Um, which may mean that he's, that he's from a Greek family, certainly a Greek name, but apparently it was also, at that time, it was a trendy name, because, uh, Herod, the great, the really nasty Herod, um, one of his sons, one of the Tetrarchs, was called Philip, so a lot of people called their, their son, if they were not using, um, their Hebrew names, a lot of people called their, their sons Philip, because, it kind of might have got you, I know, like a funny handshake kind of thing. You know, it might have got you into that. The fisherman from Bethsaida, same place as these guys. Um, more than likely friends with them. They're all in the same things. Uh, he gets a few mentions in the Gospels. He was clearly a friend of the Apostle Nathaniel because he's the one that, that told him about about Jesus. The, the way he gets the mentions is, it's Philip that brings a little boy with who has the loaves and the fish for the feeding. It's also Philip, and this is why it's felt as well as his name, that it might be that he's from a Greek family. It's Philip towards the end of Jesus' life who brings the pagan Greeks and introduces them to Jesus. The ones who, they, they apparently approach Andrew and then Andrew comes to Philip and then Philip is the one that speaks to them and then takes them to, to Jesus. Some people say it's not the Philip that's in the Acts of the Apostles. Some people say it is. Um, if you remember the Acts of the Apostles, the one that mentions Philip the most is Acts chapter 8. That's the incident with the Ethiopian eunuch. That, um, it's a great incident. Uh, if we had time, I would, I would get someone to read it all out. But Acts chapter 8 is when, um, Philip is one place and then he's moved very quickly, mysteriously, and the eunuch is in the chariot and he's reading Isaiah, and Philip says to him, do you understand that? And he said, how can I, how can I understand that unless somebody guides me? And Philip gets in and guides him and tells him all about Jesus. And then he baptizes him, and then Philip's then taken somewhere else. Now, some people have said that that's uh, an example of editorial things. But are you all, are you all, uh, all heard of the a thing called bilocation. Okay, so those of you who were born before the 60s have all shared this planet with someone who was well documented for bilocation. Do you know who it is? 
Padre Pio. Padre Pio, yeah. Right. It's well documented that Padre Pio was seen in two places at the one time. Um, one occasion was a young man who was going to commit suicide and he was standing on the bridge in the Tiber and Padre Pio was in San Giovanni Rio Rotunda way down south and he was celebrating Mass and he went very quiet and it, it seems at the same time he appeared to this young man and talked him out of killing himself. There's another occasion where he saved somebody's life who was going to be in a train that was going to crash. There's an occasion when he was um, just ordained where he came to visit someone and brought them um, consolation and anointed them even although he was in the convent with the Franciscans. Now these are all well documented. So um, it's very possible that that's what we're hearing there. It's like I said last week, James the Greater was the first one to see a vision of Our Lady and she wasn't dead. So this could well be one of the first cases of, of uh, being recorded on, by, legation, by location. Philip went to Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, also North Africa. He had four daughters, Hermone, Caroline, Arias, and Eutychian. And they all held, we, we, they're all saints, and they're all, they all helped to spread the gospel message. Um, they all, they all gave active spiritual direction. Remember, this is in the first century of Christianity. Um, and he was crucified probably at the age of 87, and he was crucified upside down. Um, as I mentioned last week, the, the Romans liked to experiment with how to, um, how to kill people. And so every so often they would put people in different positions or use different methods of hanging them to crosses in different kinds of woods. Bartholomew. Bartholomew is known by another name. In the lists. Bartholomew is also Nathaniel. This is a, a case of uh, what I was talking about, a patronomic. Um, so he's, he's named Nathaniel means given by God is a good name to call a child right Adomidatos is the Latin for given by God St. Augustine of Hippo, his son who died that's what his name was um, But so Nathaniel means given by God, his name Bartholomew, remember I've said about um, patronomics and how in English, it tends to be son, but we have all these other ones, Celtic ones and all these kind of stuff. Um, in Judaism, it's Bar, so you know, he's known as Simon Bar, Bar uh, Jonah. He would be Andrew Bar Jonah. He would be um, James Bar Elphius. And so Bartholomew means son of Ptolemy. Now, the interesting thing about, about that is that one of um, David, King David's nieces was called Ptolemy. So some speculation has been made that, that Bartholomew, Nathaniel, might be of royal blood. That he might, he might, have, he might be of uh, nobility. Clearly a pious Jew and devout, a devout and insightful friend of Philip, we know this because Jesus, when he sees him, says, says to him, um, the, the um, Nogail is found in this man. He's from Cana. He's the one that said, when Philip said to him, 
come and meet Jesus of Nazareth. Do you remember what Philip, what Nathaniel says? Yes. So, nothing could anything good come from Nazareth. So, in, in the middle part of Scotland, we have two large cities. One is Glasgow, where I'm from, the largest, and the other one is our capital city, Edinburgh. And here's a good Catholic West of Scotland joke. What does Edinburgh mean? It's Latin for not as good as Glasgow. <laughs> How do people in Michigan feel about the Buckeyes? <laughs> right. So these things happen, right? So um, Nathaniel Bartholomew is from uh, is from Canaan, which is nine miles away from Nazareth. So it's very possible the reason why he's saying that is but one of these human insights to so the humanity of the of the how the gospels are not sanitized. He's possibly saying that for the same reason why somebody here might say that about Rogers, I guess, or somebody in Afton or Tower might say that about here, that um, these inter these rivalries that happen between between towns. Um, in the fifties, he went to Asia Minor, modern day Turkey, Armenia, um, which is always oh, something about Armenia over here. Um, and also probably to India or he went to the part of India that, that was called India Felix the Latin word Felix is called Lucky that's why it became so popular as a cat's name Felix um, if you look at India India is kind of, kind of pointed right? Goa which you see which is the Portuguese speaking part of India although it's now part of India proper um, India Felix uh, was just above where's modern modern day Goa, and there's a tradition that that he went there. Um, he was flayed alive, so had his skin peeled off him, and then crucified. There's a long-standing tradition about that. That's why often you will see in pictures of them. If you see icons, if you see an icon of someone, even if it doesn't have the name on it, and they're all apart from their head, they're all red. That's Bartholomew, because that's the, there's an icon that shows him without his skin. Um, in the John Latin, which is the Pope's church in Rome, all the apostles, and once I got everything set up, I'm going to give you a tour of the John Latin, because you can do a 360 online. Uh, down the, the nave are all the apostles, and the one of Bartholomew, he's the classic, he's got a knife, and he's carrying his skin over his arm, and you know it's his skin, because you can kind of see his face, you can see a face in it. Um, so what a way to die. Yeah. So that's Bartholomew, that probably happened, tradition tells us, on August the 24th, AD 62. And he was probably about 57 to 60 years old. Thomas, um, let's see. Oh, we're not going to finish them. I might leave Thomas till the next time. So I'm going to go with Simon the Zealot so I can fit him in. Simon the Zealot, not, despite what you might have heard, the Zealots as a political party, you know what zealous means, right, in English? So, zealous means really enthusiastic. The political party of the Zealots, the Jews, did not exist at the time of Jesus. The Zealots didn't come into existence probably until the 50s. We know nothing else about him, apart from that, from his history. In the AD 40s, he went to modern-day Palestine, then Egypt, then Africa, and there is a, a long-held tradition that he went all the way to Britain, 
with Joseph of Arimathea. That's why they have all that tradition in England about the Holy Grail going there and things like that. That's Glastonbury. You've all heard of Glastonbury? There's a big rock festival in Glastonbury every year. But Glastonbury, excuse me, is supposed to be one of the places where the Holy Grail was was stored and it was Simon the Zealot and Joseph of Arimathea went there. Um, Known, of course, in conjunction with St. Jude, they were both martyred together sometime in the 70s. And I might get St. Jude done as well. Um, his father's name was James. He went along the Black Sea coast. <clears throat> the Black Sea coast. And also in Armenia, the Armenian church view him as their, um, as their, uh, patron. Um, he uh, is called Judas Tadius. That's also got to do with the whole double name thing um, and he was impaled after stoning in the 70s and that's all we know about him so I'm not going to be able to cover tonight Thomas Matthias and Judas Iscariot which we will cover at a later time because we're almost out of time so Next week, there's no class. Because I'm celebrating Mass along in Rogers City. Okay. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the heart with thy faith. And kindle in them the fire of thy love. Send forth thy Spirit, and they shall be created. Let us pray. O God, we do instruct the hearts of the faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us in the same Spirit to be truly wise and ever to rejoice in His consolation. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. To Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. We are safeguard against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, Cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits that prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. The Lord be with you. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. You can listen again to this or any other episode of Let's Talk Catholic at our blog, Let's Talk Catholic Podcast.blogspot.com, or you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, or almost any other podcast provider. You can also like us on Facebook. Let's Talk Catholic is produced by Nick Medelsky and can be heard right here on Relevant Radio in Northern Michigan, Saturdays at noon.